You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Are we feeling super yet? Welcome into Crunch Time here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, Matt Miguez here. Broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. On a day where many didn't think it was possible, the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns won back-to-back games against LSU in Tiger Park to advance to their first Super Regional since 2016. We'll recap both of those games here from head coach Jerry Glasgow. Preview the upcoming Super as well as they will travel up to the Pacific Northwest to take on Washington. We'll also look at it from LSU's perspective. Uh, what, What a great season LSU softball had. We'll recap that for you as well. McNeese was this close. This close to having a Southwest Louisiana Super Regional. We'll recap their heartbreaking loss up in Seattle to Washington. And we'll get to the NBA playoffs as well. My producer and co-host is Mr. James Mesh. James, happy Monday, sir. How are you? I'm doing all right, Matt, on this Monday. How about you? I'm doing very, very well. I bet you're pretty giddy. I'm doing very well. Um, look, it was a long weekend mm-hmm. out in the heat. Yeah, you got a little bit of a tan. I got a little bit of a tan going on. A little bit of a burn. Um, yeah, fa- face is a little a little tingly. You uh, look like a tomato. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. But man, <laughs> let me tell you, that was fun. I bet. That was a lot of fun. Because look, you know, you, you walked into yesterday and... From my perspective, being a guy that has grown up around Raging Cajun sports, graduated from UL, you've seen this movie before. You walk into Tiger Park on Championship Sunday, you got to win twice. You're going to win the first game, and then somehow, some way, you're going to drop the second game in just heartbreaking fashion. And it looked like it. And it certainly looked like it. <laughs> I remember sitting there in the press box. So UL comes out in game two after winning 7-4 in the first game. They put up six runs in the top of the first. And you're getting all high on yourself. Oh, man, they're going to do it. They're going to win. Mm-hmm. Well, then LSU comes back with eight unanswered. And then you sit there and <laughs> you go, okay, the movie I talked about, I'm watching it again. But you swear you had the script leaked. But but then the director threw a threw an extra plot twist in there at the end. So look, lesson learned here. If you want to intentionally walk a batter, throw it outside. Or hit him. Or hit him. <laughs> Don't give him a chance to swing. Oh, man. Which, that is an interesting strategy. I never really thought about it. Because, like, I feel like if the batter 
not necessarily not necessarily is dumb enough, but isn't able to recognize it unless it happened more than once, then they just don't deserve to like go for it. And they should they deserve to be out. Cause it's like if you let the first one go by oh well, I mean you weren't expecting it because you thought you were going to get intentionally walked. Right. But then if you let a second one go by, I mean, it's like, so come on. When Jordan Campbell first stepped up to the plate, the Cajuns were still down a run, but there was a runner on second and third. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a miscommunication between Sidney Burzon and Allie Newland, the LSU pitcher and LSU catcher, because Allie Newland stands up behind the plate for the intentional walk, and she takes the step out to the left to, you know, catch the first ball. Well, Burzon throws it right down the middle. And by the time Newland gets her glove over enough to catch it, it ricochets off the top of her glove and goes wide, which allowed the tying run to come in the score. Well, then, so now it's one nothing. The count is, is 1-0. You throw another ball, it's 2-0. Then you sneak a strike in there, and then you sneak another strike in there. So now it's 2-2. And Jordan Campbell kind of picked up on what was happening, and LSU was trying to do a thing called stealing strikes. And instead, Jordan Campbell sees the third pitch coming down the center of the plate once again, and she turns on it. And she rips it to right center field to score another run. Gives the Cajuns the 9-8 lead, and they would eventually go on to get the win. It was the first time in program history that the Cajuns had to win both on Championship Sunday and did it. It is their first Super Regional under head coach Jerry Glasgow. And just to add some sweetness to the top of the cake, that regional championship victory was their 50th win of the 2023 season. So what a wild performance. What a day it was for Jordan Campbell. She hits a three-run homer in game one to really put it away for the Cajuns after they trailed 4-1 to in that game. Six unanswered for Louisiana, including that three-run homer from Campbell. And then... In the second game, we talked about the six runs in the top of the first. Jordan Campbell had a grand slam in that instance. You had a Stormy Kotzel, you had a Maya Davis scoring on a wild pitch, RBI ground out, to, and then after a couple of walks, Jordan Campbell was able to get a home run down the left field line that bounced off of the foul pole. That made it 6 nothing in the first, but then LSU really exploded in the third, Georgia Clark got a home run in the bottom of the second. That made it 6-1. And then in the third, LSU comes away with seven runs in that inning to make it 8-6. And then a Carly Heath solo shot, followed by, in the seventh inning, a pass ball score like we mentioned, and then the RBI single from Jordan Campbell to score Heath and give them the go-ahead and eventually the winning run. After the game, head coach Jerry Glasgow met with the media and he gave his thoughts on beating LSU. 
I thought there, uh, we got we got out to a real good lead in the first game. I mean, the first inning and got up 6-0. And you know, anytime you score that early, you know they're going to make a run. And they did. They did what great teams do. They made their run and they they got the lead 7-6. And I'm just trying to let the pace. Uh, just keep it calm in the dugout. I felt really good about our kids coming back. At that point, we only had three hits. And we were beneficiary of some walks and timely hits early. A huge grand slam by Jordan. So I knew we had more hits on. And I remember saying uh, we had three hits. And I said, what we got to do, we got three innings left. Let's make that three a nine. I told the girls, get, let's get that three to nine. We get nine hits, we'll win the game. That's kind of a, a benchmark we've used all year. Nine hits, we'll win and uh, timely hits, and then I thought the seventh inning, you know, uh, Lauren leading off, I said, look, don't try to be a hero, just, you get a good pitch, you'll get a good hit, you get a good hit, we'll get we'll get good results, and we'll win the game, and um, that was always said, she got a great pitch, got a hit, another great hit by what, caught a heat, and then uh, Jordan did her thing, and put us ahead for the win, and then a tremendous effort by our pitching staff to have each other's back, and just Bring it together, and Chloe Riasetto, freshman, really pitched good, not just today, but the, the both days in this tournament, and made a huge uh, impact. So that kind of how the last game went in my mind. Talked about Jordan Campbell getting a three-run homer in Game One, and then the grand slam in Game Two. Jordan talked to the media about what she saw in her plate approach in those two home runs. Alexa was up, up to bat before me, and I noticed that she was getting a lot of off-speed pitches, so I was thinking, wait wait on it, obviously hit something to the right side, score some runners, and I was up, I was early, I was ahead in the count, it was 2-0, so I knew she had to come with a strike, so I, I swung as hard as I could. With the Grand Slam, uh, my second at bat in the second game, I mean in the first game, they were coming in hard inside, so I was just prepping for something hard inside that first at bat in that first game, and that's what she did. So I turned on it as hard as I could. It hit the foul pole. And then, you know, when you look at Jerry Glasgow brought up the pitching performance, it's not every day that you call on a freshman to slam the door against LSU. Chloe Riasetto went three innings, gave up three hits, no runs. She didn't strike anybody out, but she was able to force seven flyouts and two groundouts to get the victory and a 2-1 record on the season following the game. Head coach Jerry Glasgow talked about his true freshman pitcher and her performance in the circle. It goes back to her background as a travel ball player. She played on good teams. And she played in national championships. You know, she minimized damage. I can remember uh, her coach telling me, uh, Nathan Nelson, saying, Chloe Riosetto minimizes damage better than any pitcher I've ever had. The reason she does that, she stays calm and collected, and she's poised. And we, we've been careful with her, but we've really just had to be patient with her because we got the upperclassmen all want the ball ahead of her. And so... We know she's there. We got great faith in her. You could tell that we put her in every kind of bind you could put her in in Florida. You know, we threw her in the fire over and over and over. And, you know, probably her parents are thinking, what the heck's he doing? He keeps putting her in with the bases loaded in second, third, no out, and stuff like that. But, but she's good at that, and she's tough. She's mentally tough, extremely tough. And it just, you know, we used her when we, when we had to use her, and we tried to let the upperclassmen take the ball. And, and let them let them uh, take the burden off her and let her grow slow. 
and today she, this weekend she rose up. She was huge for our program, as you all know. Today's show, we're going to continue talking about this victory for Louisiana. Corey Diaz is going to join us at 4.30. We've also got some yearly awards to get to for both LSU baseball and McNeese baseball. Dylan Cruz named the SEC Player of the Year for the second straight year, first time in SEC history that a player wins it in back-to-back seasons. Paul Skeens named the SEC Pitcher of the Year, and then Grant Rogers named the Southland Conference Pitcher of the Year for the second consecutive season as well. We'll break down all of that. Jim Gazzola will join us at the top of hour number two to talk about where things went wrong for James Landrino and company. And then at 5.30, Tyler Baptiste will join us. Can Denver close it out in L.A. tonight and advance to their first NBA Finals? All that and much more coming up on today's edition of Crunch Time right here on The Game. This is Crunch Time on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Riding coasters, live music, and fried fair food. The Cajun Heartland State Fair is back. And the game, 1037 Lafayette on 1041 Lake Charles, is giving away family packs of ride tickets. And all you got to do is text CHSF to 337-283-8100 for a chance to win a family pack of tickets. That is 80 tickets to the Cajun Heartland State Fair at the Cajun Dome, May 25th to June 4th, brought to you by the game in Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You know, James, 419, welcome back to Crunch Time. You're up 6 nothing, and you just need three outs. You're feeling pretty good about your chances, right? Yeah, I feel like that's a pretty comfortable lead. Even having a three-run lead feels pretty comfortable, even in softball. What What if I told you you gave up seven in the seventh mm. and lost the game seven to six? Because that is the nightmare that McNeese softball is living today. You have a dominant first six innings of the game. Chloe Gomez gets a single in the bottom of the third. Corinne Poncho with a two-run double. Otto gets an RBI double as well in the fourth. You walk in a run with the bases loaded in the fifth. Sacrifice fly to center field, or or to right field, excuse me. And through five innings, it's a 6-0 game. But then in the seventh, maybe you left Ashley Vallejo in there a little too long. There were a couple of miscues from a fielding perspective. RBI double, sacrifice flying, RBI or an unearned run on a, on a single up the middle and then a fielding error by the center fielder, but then the one that really broke your back. A bases clearing three-run double by Sammy Reynolds and then a batter later, Madison Husky with a double to center field to score Reynolds, makes it 7-6, to six, and McNeese was able to get a base runner on in the seventh, but was not able to get her home. Again, 7-6, the final score. Washington advancing to the Super Regional to host the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. 
look, I, I'm not going to say that it was a bad season for, for, for McNeese because that's just incorrect. Um, it, it, it was a great year. They won both regular season and tournament titles for the Southland Conference. They battled in a regional that, in, in hindsight, you should have won. I mean, you're up 6 nothing, and you need three outs. In most cases, you would have gotten that done. So there's a lot to be proud of, and McNeese really shouldn't be hanging their head today. But what, uh, just what a brutal, brutal way to lose. I just three outs away from a super regional that you would have only had to travel an hour to. Just brutal. It's heartbreaking. That uh, I couldn't even imagine that feeling. But regardless, after after the game, head coach James Landrino said that he couldn't be more proud of his team. Pitch really got us to a pretty good spot. You know, we were able to put some, some runs up. And felt, felt like we won six innings, but you got to play seven. And, um, but all in all, you know, it's been a growing experience for our, for our team. And just proud of our kids. I thought they played extremely hard and in every fight. Uh, being there consistent all year long, they've answered bell consistently for us. I couldn't be more proud of a group of young people that, that actually made me better this year. And, and that's kind of the message I, I got to stick to is my, my kids work their butts off. And, and like everybody else in the country, I'm just proud of the way they stick together, what they've done. And uh, they taught me more about life this year than I've ever thought I could learn from a group of young people. With the performances that McNeese had up in Seattle over the weekend, James Landrino was asked, has your team proven that they can play with some of the best? Yeah, I mean, I think our schedule over the years, I, I think us getting to this point has been a, a seed that's been planted over the years uh, of playing a tough schedule, bringing athletes in that, that have bigger goals and dreams. And then just being, you know, winning our conference. You know, we, we talk about getting to a super regional. We were going out of the way to get to that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, our kids believe. Uh, we know, you know, maybe the brand doesn't carry nationwide, but we know when we put in and we trust in our ability to play. And, that, and our kids proved it this weekend that they, they can be on the, the big stage and, and play well. That's a, you know, predominantly young team that handled the stage well. Uh, unfortunately, just on the unfortunate, but uh, also I tip my hat to Washington. And never out the fight. They played with great energy. They're well-coached team. Uh, they have great athletes on the field, and they were able to put a, a pretty impressive run in the seventh rounds. Switching gears now, James Mesh. When your best player, your generational talent, scores fourteen, Bud, walk me through this. What the hell happened to Boston? I kind of go back to game two because it was it was if it, it felt like a lot of the same script from game one. You really controlled the pace. I mean, you had a sizable lead, double digits against the Miami Heat, and then you just fall apart in one of the quarters of the second half, and they end up winning. And I kind of go back to the Grant Williams three. Because he hits a three, he's feeling himself, and he starts talking crap to Jimmy Butler. Why, like, explain that. Because you talk to me, you're like, you like Joe Missoula as a head coach. Mm-hmm. You yourself have said that. But you don't understand 
why he doesn't play Grant Williams enough. Mm-hmm. It was like you you finally got to see him, Matt. He hits a three, and he wakes up the bull. He starts poking the bear. And what happens in the final six minutes? They were up 13, and they lose by double digits. To go down 0-2, you lost both of your home games. And then in game three, they just started off sloppy. They were, like, just a couple minutes in, they're already down 10. And it was pretty much that the whole game and got worse as the game went along. They didn't even put in... Missoula just took out Tatum and Brown and the rest of the starters and didn't even play him in the fourth quarter. Didn't even give him a chance. Because there was no point. Because you were down by as much as 33. And yet you still managed to outscore Miami in the fourth quarter. Right. But here's the thing. And this is a trend that I have noticed with Boston, especially in the postseason. The third quarter has not been kind. No. You got outscored 32-17 to 17 in the third quarter yesterday. And then in the in the first half, you were down 15 at halftime. And then you come out and you get outscored by 15 in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Yikes. And the thing is, what, what wows me is during the regular season, Miami was not a good offensive team. They were a really good defensive team, but the offense sucked. They were bottom three when it came to three-point shooting as a team. So with that, that's a big reason why they were hovering at 500 the whole season, why they lost the first game and almost lost the second play-in game and almost wasn't even in the playoffs to begin with. But now all of a sudden... They're making 50% of their three-point shots. It's it's just crazy to think. Like, are they are they taking like Mike's secret stuff from Space Jam? What's going on? So what they, do you, did they get a couple bottles from that? What do you do from here? If you're Boston? Are are you are you of the mindset of no teams ever come back from 3-0? Why would it be us? Or is it Nobody's ever come back from 3-0. and Why don't we be the first? I would say that if the three games came down to like three buzzer beaters or like came down to the final 30 seconds, but none of those games have done that. So you think, this you think season, Boston's completely done? They're done. If you watched last night, there was no fight. They don't, they don't understand how to stop Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo. They pretty much jump on every pump fake. They're leaving the corner and the wing and at some points the top of the key wide open for them. Like they weren't a great shooting team, but I mean shoot, these are still professionals. If you keep giving them wide open shots, eventually they're going to make them. Now flipping over to the Western Conference side. I was shocked that Denver already is at a 3-0 lead. I thought the Lakers would have taken at least one or two of these at home. Is that series over tonight? I'm yes. I'm very iffy to say yes. Yes. Yes, it's over. Because if you told me if I had to choose between the Lakers or Celtics, 
who would take it to game five, who's more likely to in their respective series. I'm I would more, agree. I would I agree would, that it's the Lakers. I'm leaning towards the Lakers. I would agree that it's the Lakers. Because the Lakers I feel like have gotten closer. Now, if the Lakers do get swept, who gets the blame? Is it Darvin Ham's coaching? Is it LeBron? Is it AD? Is it a mixture of all three? Like where, where where do you put what what's the one thing that made everything go wrong for the Lakers? I mean, you can put the blame on LeBron since he's you know him or AD. Those are the stars. Those are your two mainstays. And I think it's just a conservative effort. I don't think you can put the blame on one single person because because look, here's the thing. Are you really going to blame a team and blame a coach when we didn't even think they were going to make it to the playoffs to begin with and they made it to the conference finals? Yes, they got swept, but we thought they would maybe win 30 games. We thought it would be a struggle for them to just get to 30 wins, Matt, and they got to the conference finals. So it's like, is this really a failure of a season or is this like a huge disappointment even if you get swept? Because people didn't really have expectations for you. No, for sure. I mean, you, you, you've you exceeded expectations if you're the Lakers. There's no question about that. But, I, and I think that the biggest thing is that that might be getting overshadowed with, with the way we're talking about the Lakers right now is just how good Denver's been. Right. And this has been a point of emphasis for Denver because – People have talked about how Jokic was the MVP the previous two seasons. Who, who said it from the jump how good Denver was? Who said it? I did. I did. Continue. And <laughs> and and people were saying he's so focused and he's like trying to – they were trying to accuse Jokic of stat padding like Russell Westbrook was. But he came out and said, I don't care about my stats. I just want to win. So to me, it's been a real point of emphasis for the Nuggets and for Jamal and Jokic to prove that wrong. Jamal Jamal Murray's just different, dude. He's a beast. That that is that is one hell of a one two combo. That man is just different. I mean, twenty eight points, almost six rebounds, six assists. He's averaging almost two steals a game. That's insane. And then, I mean, Nikola Jokic averaging a triple-double in the playoffs. That's just what an incredible story. Denver one game away from their first ever appearance in an NBA Finals. And right now, if you had, if you asked me who is lifting the Larry O'Brien trophy, I'm going Denver. And you know what's crazy? ESPN last night still had the Celtics at a 77% chance of winning the series. Like Even what do you? Why are you giving them 3-0? bulletin board material? <laughs> oh, like I remember, so even funny. before Game Three, after Game Two, they were like, "Celtics still have the second best odds and winning the NBA championship." How? Like how? Are you watching the games? Are you watching? I don't oh, think you are. Four thirty-two. We'll take a timeout. When we return, Corey Diaz joins us. He was in Baton Rouge all weekend with me. We'll get his take on the Baton Rouge Regional and what's to come for Jerry Glasgow's crew right here on the game. This is Crunch Time. 
Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. 437. Met me guest, James Mesh, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotlines 337-706-0111. Let's continue the conversation now about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns advancing to the Super Regional, taking down LSU in back-to-back games yesterday. Corey Diaz of the Daily Advertiser was at Tiger Park. And he joins us now on the game hotline. Corey, what's going on, my man? How are you? Maddie, what's up, bro? How you doing? I'm 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 still doing very well. Um look, you know, if you would have asked most people yesterday if the Cajuns were gonna be able to do what they did, most people probably would have told you that their confidence level was was pretty low. Um so for for them to do what was nearly impossible, winning game one seven to four, and then going through an absolute gauntlet of a battle in game seven to win it nine to eight. I mean, just talk about the resiliency of Jerry Glasgow's team to be in the position they are now. Yeah, man. Uh, look, when you get to this point in the year, um, you know, I think maybe what trumps all and, and talent may be included in that. <laughs> It's just like sheer will to win, um, and that phrase comes to mind. Uh, and you know, just to kind of draw a little parallel here, uh, you know, I cover LSU women's basketball, and, and look, they weren't—you know—no one thought that they were going to win the national championship this year. I'm also not necessarily saying at this point that UL is going to win the national championship in softball, but Jim Mulkey talked a lot about. Listen, were we the most talented team? Certainly not, but. Our ladies just had more of a will to win in the games where it mattered the most. I thought that's what we saw yesterday out of the Raging Cajuns. Um, and that's not necessarily to say that LSU's softball team didn't have a, a, you know, an urge or a will to win either one of those games that we saw yesterday. I just thought UL had more of a will um, to win. Look, you know, credit LSU. Seven of their eight runs in, in that in that deciding game seven were with two outs. Um, you know, and that's usually a signal of, you know, a will to win. But you got to credit, you got to credit Jerry, uh, Justin Robichaux, the pitching coach. Um, you know, what they were able to do. I thought the decision to pitch a freshman, Chloe Riazzetto, uh I mean. Talk about a, a coach and a pitching coach having all of the confidence in the world to run someone out there who, at this point, at this level in her career, right, had never been uh, on that stage and in that kind of moment. Um, and she was lights out, you know, and, and against a, a really good lineup. Uh, she really positioned UL to have an opportunity in that seventh inning to win that ball game, um, and then – Listen, Jordan Campbell, um, you know, they better be figuring out where they're going to put her graphic up around the stadium somewhere. <laughs> uh, legendary, legendary regional final performance. Eight-hole RBI, obviously had the game winner, the eventual game-winning RBI there. A three-home run, a, gra- a three-run home run, a grand slam, and a single day. I mean, it, it, it's 
it's legendary stuff. You know, it's stuff that people will be talking about for 20 years now. Um, so it's, it's getting those, it's getting those timely hits. Like Jerry said last night after the game, um, it's coming up and having the confidence and, and whomever's, whether they're stepping into the batter's box or they're pitching in the circle. Uh, one thing I think I've learned about this softball team and the staff is that the confidence level that the coaches have in the players, regardless of who's playing that particular day, there's no difference between starters and, and players that are on the bench. And I think that that level of depth and confidence in that depth has really paid off uh, for UL so far in the postseason. Now you brought up Jordan Campbell and, and again, the, the legendary weekend that, that she had, you know, a lot of people didn't know the injuries and, and the surgeries that she had to go through last off season. And for her to battle back from that and, you know, have the year that she did kind of kind of struggled a little bit down the backstretch of the season and into the conference tournament. But like like I said earlier today, Jerry Glasgow just kept going to her and kept putting her in the lineup. And he just knew that, that she was going to make things happen eventually. And, and it paid off in a big way this weekend. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, you're, you're, you're talking about someone who, I, I mean, let's be honest. Uh, you know, she signs with an SEC school out of high school. Um, look, she she's an everyday starter by every stretch of the imagination. Look, she had she had not had, uh, you know, full MCL tear and had to have, uh, you know, reparable surgery on that, you know, after the season, a, a, a procedure, mind you, that she delayed putting off at the end of last season, uh, because she wanted to play and, and contribute to last uh, last season's team, um, look, she she would she would be an everyday starter had she had not had to go through that. Um, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, but you know, I spent some time with her with her parents. You know, Sunday Sunday afternoon after the, you know, the, just the, the incredible day that she had, um, and you could just tell. Uh, and Sam, her dad. And Lisa, her mom, just their voice, their emotion, you know, them talking about their daughter, uh, just what the day meant to them and what they knew that the day meant to Jordan, you know, thinking back on just the journey of the last year of getting back to this point. Um, it, you know, Jerry classified her as, as the team's warrior, you know, in the post game last night. And I think that's a, that's a great label for her. Um, you know, she, you know, not only from a physical standpoint, had the warrior through some 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 hurdles. Uh, I think mentally, you know, it's been you know it's been trying for her. Uh, you know, again because she is clearly talented enough to be in the lineup every single day. But you know, with her rehab and having to get back and and you know maybe some uncertainty at, at maybe at the beginning of the year and and you know as you mentioned, Matt, a, a little bit of struggle here and there. Um, you know, and as deep as this team is, you know, Jerry's wanting to play, you know, a lot of players and get them some some looks. And, um, you know, to her credit, you know, she's been, you know, as her mom told me, Lisa, uh, yesterday, she's been, quote, unquote, the best teammate. Um, and I'm not sure if there's a, a, a player on this team that was more deserving of the kind of day that Jordan Campbell had yesterday than her. Um, and, when you have kids like that on teams that you cover, it, it's it's really rewarding to see them come through in those big moments and, and have all of the things that they had to work through pay off and pay off in a big way um, in games that really matter. Um, so it was it was really 
it was really cool and refreshing to see Jordan Campbell come up in those big-time spots for UL yesterday. Uh, look, you could say, you know, oh, hey, they got the super. That, that means a lot, and it does. But, hey, beating LSU on the way to getting to a super regional, I know that meant a lot to this team. You know, when you look at this group, we, we've talked all weekend and over the last couple of weeks that there are certain players that, that you can depend on to get you a hit when you need one. And now you can add Jordan Campbell to the list. But the three that were there already are Maya Davis, Sophie Piscos, and, and Lauren Allred over the last couple of weeks. Um, to have that much talent and that much firepower in this lineup, how much of an advantage do you think that's going to be heading into a super regional with a team like Washington? Yeah, well, and look, more specifically, you know, um, where where Washington is, where the University of Washington is, right? Seattle and, and uh, a little more elevation and altitude, right, than, than where we are. Uh, you know, expect the ball to, you know, kind of have a little bit of a pop off the bat, you know, this weekend. So it, it's huge. I, look, this is a great, this is a great matchup, uh, I think, for, for the Raging Cajuns, uh, you know, in their pursuit of, of getting back to Oklahoma City. Um, yes, Washington's obviously certainly talented. Look, they're, they're, they got a rich history and tradition in their program just as, you know, almost as deep as, you know, what UL has. This is going to be two traditionally rich perennial power programs that have, that are no stranger to anyone who follows the sport. Uh, this is going to be a phenomenal super regional series for sure. Um, but when you talk about, look, I don't think there's there's a a a two three four five uh, order, you know, in in the country right now that's probably hitting the ball as hard or as efficiently um, as UL right now. Uh, look, Stormy hitting in that two spot has been a has been a godsend for this team. I think she. You know, she had a couple of mistakes this weekend on the base pass, but in the box, swinging the bat, she's she's had a, a really good last two-plus weeks, um, and she's really come through. Uh, and you have to have base runners in front of Sophie. She's been able to get on, and Sophie, she swings the bat pissed off. I think when she makes contact, she's pissed off. Like, she's, no one's hitting the ball harder than Sophie Pisco's right now in the country. I, I'll, I'll go to my grave saying that. Uh, and then behind her, you got Lauren Allred. And then behind her, you've got the senior Sunbelt Conference Player of the Year and Carly Heath, who's, you know, continuing to jack home runs every other game. So it's that two through five um, is going to be key for UL getting back to the Women's College World Series out of Seattle Super Regional this weekend because of the power that they have in their backs. And I think that. You know, for for Washington, you know, it, it's it's almost going to be a pick your poison type deal. How, how do you pitch? You know, with how do you pitch to them? How do you pitch yep. to two through five? You know, there's going to be a lot of strategies, going to be a lot of coaches' decisions. I think we'll see this weekend. Um, and, and credit to Jerry Glasgow, uh, <laughs> this dude, he just knows when to put the the right player in the game at the right time to pitch hit or to pitch. You know, I like we talked about with Chloe. Uh, his his coaching decisions and his subs uh, this postseason have uh, he, he's got to be at a hundred percent mark in terms of uh, rating and efficiency that he he know, he just knows he has such a good feel for his team and I think that's something that's not getting talked about right now is Glasgow may have just as good of a feel for his team as as almost anyone in the country right now um, and that's the, that kind of stuff at this time of year that matters Corey Diaz joining us here on the game hotline. 
Uh, you know, one final question, Corey. You look at Washington's pitching rotation with Ruby Malin and, and Brooke Nelson, obviously two very talented pitchers. But when you look at Louisiana, I mean, Sam Landry, Megan Shorman, Kendra Lamb, now you can throw in Chloe Riosetto, Carly Heath as, as well. The Cajuns have to have the pitching advantage heading into this weekend. Yeah, uh, you know, that's a good question. I, I from a from just a sheer depth standpoint, look, there's no question. I mean, there's 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 <laughs> there's four basic and you know, with the addition of uh Riacetto pitching in a literally a deciding game seven in a regional final, uh, you have to add her to that mix too. So yeah, sure. The the Cajuns have five pitchers who are no question battle tested. There's there's nothing at this point in the year that they haven't seen. Um but look you know, uh, you mentioned both of Washington's pitchers. You don't like get a scholarship to, to pitch at the University of Washington on the softball team if you're not just you know elite and otherworldly. You know, they, they're two great pitchers, and the the matchups from both staffs with both lineups is just going to be so fun to watch, man. Um, and again, that's, I go back to you know, kind of how do you navigate these lineups? How do you pitch to them? What will the pitching coaches decide to do with these certain matchups and these certain game situations? It's going to be so fascinating to watch as the games unfold. Um, I, I'm expecting, you know, I asked, uh, asked Glasgow earlier today, you know, just about the level of unpredictability that, that we could see in this Super Regional. I'm expecting a lot of it. Uh, you know, my, my pick is UL in three games. I think, I think UL gets back to the Women's College World Series. And it's really more so about the power that they have in their lineup. You know, uh, I think there's just so much, and it's and it's divvied up throughout it. Um, I think it's just going to be a little harder for for Washington's pitching staff to to navigate through UL's lineup than it will be for whether it be Shoreman or you know if if he pitches, you know, or you know Lamb or or Sam Landry. Uh, I think they will have a little better time, and they can give Washington's hitters different looks and I think we'll see all of them pitch you know and, and Jerry's proven that he's not afraid to to run Chloe out there um and that's and that's going to be a factor in this regional I believe uh, Washington's going to get their hits they're going to score their runs no question about it but there's not going to be a lot of opportunity for them to really you know key in on what maybe a Sam Landry is doing where a Kendra Lamb is doing because I think Jerry's going to give Washington a lot of different looks, and uh, and when you when you're able to do that, you're really able to keep the, the other hitters from getting into a rhythm, um, and I think that's going to be the key. Corey Diaz from the Daily Advertiser joining us here on Crunch Time. Corey, appreciate you as always. Uh, enjoy the Super Regional this weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good, brother. Appreciate you. And there he goes, Corey Diaz. We'll take a timeout. Wrap up hour number one right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game has a brand new app and it is your one-stop shop for all things Southwest Louisiana sports station. Download the free mobile app today for Apple or Android devices. Just search the game Southwest Louisiana. No matter where you are, you can listen to the game Southwest Louisiana sports station. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up 
LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time, wrapping up our number one here in the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. The poll question of the day. What was the craziest thing from the weekend? You can vote on, on Facebook and Twitter and also leave your comment. Was it the Cajuns comeback in Baton Rouge over LSU? Was it the Cowgirls of McNeese, the collapse in Seattle? Was it Block's top 15 at the PGA Championship? Or was it something else? Because right now about 50% of you are saying the Cowgirls dropping it in dramatic fashion yeah, in that, Seattle. That's certainly up there. 27% are saying Cajuns come back against LSU. And then Block's top 15 at the PGA is getting about 20%. How about Michael Block, man? We're And we're going to talk about that in hour number two because what a story that is if you're unfamiliar. Uh, so we're definitely going to get to that in hour number two. Uh, but we're going to also talk with Jim Gazzolo about that cowgirl softball collapse in Seattle. And we're going to talk with Tyler Batiste about the NBA playoffs. So do not go anywhere. A whole nother hour of crunch time to go before we get you set for the Houston Astros right here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and it is your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Our number two of Crunch Time is here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. In hour number one, we talked about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns advancing to their first Super Regional since 2016, taking down LSU in dramatic fashion. We also touched on the McNeese Cowgirls falling to Washington over in Seattle last night and much more here in hour number two. We're going to talk NBA playoffs. We're also going to talk to talk about Michael Block and his incredible story at the PGA Championship over the weekend. But right now, let's continue talking about McNeese softball and baseball. Baseball getting set to host the Southland Conference Tournament this weekend over at Joe Miller Ballpark. Jim Gazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press and the host of the McNeese Coaches Show joins us here on crunch time to kick off hour number two jim what's going on man man how are you i'm doing good how are you guys oh absolutely fantastic sir thanks for asking um somebody who might not be doing absolutely fantastic this morning is, is james landrino and his mcneese softball team that would be correct so i would imagine they had a long sleepless night and a long flight home so so jim you know for a game that started off so good for McNeese. I mean, six nothing headed into the seventh. Everything's going right. You're on your way to playing in a super regional that that's just going to be an hour away from home. And, and then little by little, Washington just chips away at it and comes back. What happened? Uh, I called it the 28 minute torture chamber for McNeese fans. Uh, just little things that piled on and. A couple of defensive lapses on plays they had made all year long 
Uh, I think James Landrino was slow to get his pitcher out. Mm-hmm. And by the time everything changed, uh, it was all over. And it was, uh, it was death by a lot of little, little bites. It was really painful to watch for, for a team that had played so well. They played Washington four times. In the 28 innings they played them, they really dominated 20 innings. But the last inning was the key. Yeah, you know, you brought up the, the Vallejo situation. Look, she pitched great for, for six innings, but after that first or second run in the seventh, if I'm James Landrino, I'm going out there like, look, we got to stop this. Yeah, it, it's not, it's nothing uh, it against you, momentum. right? It, it's nothing against the way you've pitched, but we we've got to get a fresh arm in here. Yeah, and I, I think that that is you know especially coming back, you would have came back with Tate who had shut them out earlier in the day. They were the first team to shut them out in the tournament since Alabama, and I think 2015. Um, also, there was and she's a different pitcher. You were getting to see this lineup for the fourth time. There were a lot of red flags. There were a couple of times she looked in the dugout, looking to be like she, you know, she was ready to come out and looking for help. A lot of red flags that I think he missed, and I, I think he'll be honest about it. I think he's going to take this pretty hard because um, it was all right there. I mean, what more could you ask for than to come home and have to drive over to Lafayette and play your arch rival? You don't have to play LSU. Everything right. kind of worked out for what you had. Yeah, no, absolutely. But, you know, one positive was the offense. I mean, Chloe Gomez had another great game. And then, of course, Corinne Poncho delivering as a true freshman all really all weekend. Uh, Talk talk about the Cowgirls offense and, you know, a lot of young talent contributing what the future looks like. Well, this is where we get into some weird situations. The, The future at a normal place, what you would, in normal times, you would say it's fantastic. Um, Reese Reina, who had the, who was MVP of the Southwood Conference, she will be back as, as the shortstop. Bouvier is just a soft, a lot of sophomores on this team, but we live in a different world now. And getting national exposure, maybe there's NIL money going to come down in the transfer portal. So on paper, it looks great coming back, but the reality is who comes back now? Walk me through, you know, you, you talked about James Landrino and how he's he's going to to think about this one for, for a long while. When you're a coach in, in that situation where you just lose such a heartbreaking game, in your opinion, how, how long does it take to come back from that and how do you come back from that? Well, I, you're going to have a lo- you're going to have a long summer cuz you you have nothing to take your mind off and to plan for until next year. Uh, your recruiting is basically done. So that that is the hard part is it's such a finalized moment that you don't get to even see your kids until August. So that take that's hard. But this is – I hate to say this because everybody will – this will haunt you as a coach, especially a mid-major coach, for maybe ever because this was your chance. You had it in front of you. How many mid-majors get the chance? I mean, this is the second time in a row they've gone to a regional final. They looked, they, they were overmatched last year by Northwestern. They were not overmatched this year. So how many chances do you get at a For program sure. like McNeese to take that next step, to take the ultimate step? And then how many times would you get a chance to play somebody that you're very familiar with and not a Power 5 program, a very good program, 
but not a power five. So it, it had set up perfectly for this moment of kind of zen for McNeese softball, and it all just slipped away in a half hour that just went crazy. Jim Gazzolo joining us here on Crunch Time. Let's flip over to baseball now, getting ready to host the Southland Conference Championship Tournament this weekend. Uh, their first game in the tournament is actually going to be tomorrow evening when when they take on Texas A&M Corpus Christi in a single elimination game at 6 o'clock. How did McNeese get into this position? Because for a while, they were a, a top-three team in the conference. Well, like... like uh... Uh, Justin Hill, head coach Justin Hill, told me on Saturday when we first talked about it, he says, we did it to ourselves. We have no one to blame but ourselves. Uh, they played good, but not great baseball. They played 500 baseball in the, in the league. That's really where they were <laughs> all year. Very good early in the year against some, some competition from the north. But realistically, they never really separated themselves in a league. There were three teams tied for the uh, fifth spot one game behind the third spot. So everybody's bunched up. There's nobody that was outstanding all year. And they made little mistakes that cost them during the year. And I'll give you an example. First series of the year. This is how this whole season set up. They're beating Nichols. They beat Nichols in the opener. They play the second game. They lose. They're at home. They're beating. They're tied with Nichols in the 11th inning. They have runners at first and second, one out. Base hit up the middle, ground ball, base hit up the middle. Rudder's going to score easily. Cooper Hex trips coming around third, or Brendan Duhon trips coming around third. Has to go back to the base. They have players already celebrating on the field. Uh, that run never comes home. They lose in 12. You take that, you just that one play, and they're in the two or three spot, and Nichols is with them in the two or three, and they have the tiebreaker over Nichols. That's how close they were, but that also shows that they fundamentally were not sound all year and deserve to be in the playing game. I mean, it's a tiebreaker reason, but that's what you get. Now, Grant Rogers was named Conference Pitcher of the Year for the second straight year. You know, what's what's Justin Hill's plan when, when it comes to Grant Rogers? Do, do you throw him tomorrow night in that, in that single elimination playing game? Yes, it's his game. He has to get into the double elimination because he doesn't have a safety net. That's what he said. He will use Grant Yarders, and if he needs to, he will use Ty Abraham as one, two pitchers just to get into the next game. Interesting thing, though, is Rodgers has already told him because he only threw three innings last week. He is good to go on Saturday if they, are to, if they win tomorrow and get to the title day. So it may work out <laughs> to where they have the best pitcher in the league pitching on Saturday when no one else would. But the road, the road became right. very long for them to get there when they did not get a, the first round by. I was about to say he, he could turn around and pitch Saturday, but you got to get to Saturday first. Yeah, and that's the thing is th- this, whole, this whole thing will come down to how well Bryson Hudgens has come up from, from Tommy John's surgery of last year because he's pitched better and better and better. And he was their number, he was their Friday night starter going into last year until he, he hurt his arm. He has stuff. He's 6'4". He throws very hard, but he hasn't gone over four or five innings all year because of the Tommy John surgery. Can he give them a quality start that they're not expecting? That may be the boost, but I, I think I, between you and me, I think it's too too hard of a road for a team that has not 
that has been up and down too much. How how confident are you in McNeese's offense to to carry them if the pitching's just not there with guys like Josh Leslie and Peyton Harden? Not as confident as I was a year ago. <laughs> they have they have been up and down. This is not this is a team. Last year, the big difference between last year and this year was power. Much more power last year. They had power in left field, power at third base, um, power. Gonzalez hit double-digit home runs last year. He's hit two this year. More power at first base. They had just more power throughout the lineup. Um, this year has not. They've struggled to get run, score runs that way. They left a lot of men on base. They can run really well, but uh, you know when you got to get three hits consistently against good pitching, it's hard to do. So they've struggled against the better pitchers. Jim Gazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press joining us here on Crunch Time. Jim, really appreciate your time. Um, Enjoy the Southland Conference Tournament this week. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon, sir. Yeah, it's gloomy over here for a couple days. It'll be gloomy over here. Yeah, no no doubt about it, Jim. Appreciate you. All right, we'll see you. And there he goes, Jim Gazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press. Again, just can't even fathom what the McNeese fan base is going through today after watching what unfolded last night over in Seattle. We'll take a timeout here, 514. When we return, we'll recap your weekend. We'll get to top stories. We'll talk to PGA Championship. We'll talk the NASCAR All-Star Race at North Wilkesboro and much more right here on The Game. This is Crunch Time on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The defending World Series champs are starting to warm up, and you can see them in person. The game 137 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with another Astros weekend getaway. This time, Houston hosts the Cincinnati Reds on Saturday, June 17th, and you can be there. Register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com for four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. And as always, Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning. La Meridian, Houston, downtown, and the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Yellow. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. 518, Matt Miguez. James Mesh calls on the game hotline. 337-706-0111. Looking at the PGA Tour, yesterday was the PGA, or this past weekend, I should say, was the PGA Championship. Brooks Kepka winning his fifth major, his third PGA Championship win. But that might not, that's not even the story of the weekend. Story of the weekend is a 46 year old PGA training pro by the name of Michael Block. He gives golf lessons at a golf course in Mission Vallejo, California, near his hometown. And he charges $145 an hour for his lessons. He qualified for the PGA Championship after a qualifying tournament. And he comes into Oak Hill in Rochester and has a great 
opening round. Finishes even par with five birdies on the afternoon. And then comes into round two and, and again, stays right there at the one over, two over mark. Makes the cut. Comes in on, on Saturday. Pitches four more birdies to keep himself in the mix with an even day. And then yesterday. Doesn't get a single birdie. Has three bogeys on the afternoon. But James, he covered up two of those bogeys by a hole 15 par three hole and one. And when I tell you, if golf could have nothing but net, it was nothing but net. I mean, no bounce on the green. No, He shot it, and it dropped right into the hole. Incredible. So he goes on to finish in 15th place. Finishing tied for 15th does a couple of things for him. Number one, somebody wrote him a check for $288,000. Cha-ching. But number two is it gives him an automatic invitation to next year's PGA Championship. You know what else it allows him to do? He can bump up his hourly. Yeah, he can. <laughs> yeah, he can. He can go from one one forty to five hundred. God, man, Michael at this point, Block. Because at this point, it's like if anybody wants to dispute, it's like, well, I got top fifteen of the PGA Championship, right. so uh, don't don't you what think do you, I know I know a thing or two? Right, because like, I did a thing or two. Right, right. And look, you know, for a guy that's forty six years old, this this moment was pretty surreal. He got to he was paired with Rory McIlroy. On the final round of a major, finishes in the top 15. I mean, God, what more could you want out of a golf career? And I saw a video after after the tournament, he gets invited, he gets an exemption to this coming week's PGA event. And I, I, he, he told the guy on the phone, he was like, wait, I need to check with my boss, make sure it's okay that I don't come into work this week. So he turns around and he looks at the club director for the golf course who was with him at the PGA Championship and said, hey, I'm not going to be able to make it into work next week. And the club director laughs and he goes, hell, if you go and I'm going too. Right, right, I'm going again. Neither one of us will be there next week. It's fine. So I thought that was just absolutely, absolutely hysterical. But uh, the Charles Schwab Challenge is this coming week over at Colonial Golf Club. And look, again, going back to it, a 46-year-old doing what he did and now just living an absolute dream, playing in the PGA Championship, finished top 15. He's going to be able to participate in the PGA Championship next year as well. What would have been great is had he finished in the top four. If he'd have finished in the top four, he'd have gotten an exemption to not only next year's PGA Championship, but James, he would have also been invited to play in the 2024 Masters. So that could have just been a legendary moment if he'd have been able to to get there. He was actually only four strokes away from finishing tied for fourth. So 
Wasn't too far off finishing a tied 15th. Brooks Kepka 9-under. Victor Hovland and Scotty Scheffler were each at 7-under. Bryson DeChambeau, Kurt Kitayama, and Cam Davis at 3-under. So in your top 10, you had 1, 2, 3, 4 live golfers. So now the question has become, has the live tour legitimized itself? We'll see. We'll see. They, they they poached some of the best golfers in the world and they're participating well in, in a major event as they should. But the tour as a whole does have low ratings and is hemorrhaging money. So is it really legitimized? We'll see. Anyways, NASCAR returned to North Wilkesboro for... The first time in 26 years last night for the All-Star Race. And man, oh man, what an, what an event it was. Kyle Larson getting the win. Now, this race isn't a points race for the Cup Series. But that doesn't mean that they aren't fighting for something, James. A million dollars was on the line last night. The winner of the All-Star Race gets a check for a million dollars. So, yeah, you might not be getting any points towards the season standings, but you are certainly racing for something. Uh, Kyle Larson getting the win. Bubba Wallace finishing in second. Tyler Reddick in third. Chase Briscoe fourth. And then Chase Elliott rounds out the top five. Hendrick Motorsports putting two drivers in the top ten. And they will stay in North Carolina as they will be at Charlotte Motor Speedway for the Memorial Day weekend tradition of the Coca-Cola 600 over at Charlotte. Uh, That's always a fun night race in the Cup Series. Looking at some other top stories in sports, obviously the NBA playoffs game four tonight between the Nuggets and the Lakers. But James... There is a conversation going on around the NFL that the NFL is investigating into a second wave of potential gambling violations by its by players in the league. We've talked about this before and how not smart it is to 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 do this. But it seems like this isn't going away. So my, my my question is, could the NFL maybe ratify its gambling policy? Or are you just going to keep suspending players? With how hard they've been trying to go at this gambling thing, I don't think they're letting up. I mean, I don't, and I don't think they should. Right. I think the players should realize, look, this is against the rules. I can't do it. But because if if you let up, you give them an inch, they're gonna take a mile. So it's like they're gonna try and see what they can get away with. So it's like if you really don't want the players to bet on games, then you're gonna have to try and lay down the law. It, it doesn't matter that, like, say there's 50 players 
that are all getting investigated from a different teams altogether. It's like just because it's 50, at that point, they would just take it as a sign. Like, hey, I mean, if we're all in a mass group and there's 100, 200, 3 of us, well, they can't stop all of us. Because then they're going to have like a, they're going to feel like they have for sure. They have to cap themselves. Like, if it exceeds 20 people that we've found guilty or evidence of them with a parlay or betting on games, well, then at that point, you stop yourself. They see it as a sign of, hey, if all of us do it all together, we're going to be good and there's no consequences. No, for sure, for sure. Um, so it's definitely going to get probably dramatic and rather interesting over the next couple of months as the NFL cracks down even harder on this gambling situation. James, you look perplexed by something. All right, moving on. What if I told you that Ben Roethlisberger did not want Kenny Pickett to have immediate success? Which I, I found weird. It's like he's kind of like the successor to you. It's like for the organization that you played for your whole career. Over over the weekend, Ben Roethlisberger had Kenny Pickett on as a guest on his podcast, Footballin' with Ben Roethlisberger. And this is a direct quote from Ben. I'll be completely honest and super transparent here, and I'm probably going to get blasted. I shouldn't even say this, but who cares at this point? I wouldn't say that I wanted Kenny to necessarily fail, but when someone comes to replace you and I still felt like I had it, I hope he doesn't come ball out because then it's like, Ben who? Dude, you definitely didn't have it. (laughs) No, no, he didn't. And then he continued early on. I didn't want you to succeed because you followed me up. I didn't want it to happen. I think that's probably the selfishness of me, and I yep. feel bad for it. But as you started playing, I found myself rooting for you more and more. I wanted you to succeed. I wanted you to win games. I wanted you to go in the playoffs. I feel bad that I felt that way early on, but I'm glad I transitioned to loving and rooting for you. Way to save it. <laughs> God, way, man. Way to save that, Ben. You... Had the franchise, the new franchise quarterback, as a guest on your podcast, mm-hmm. and told him to your face, to his face, I wanted you to suck. I wanted you to be bad. Because then maybe Pittsburgh would call me, please come back and play for us, Ben. First of all, that conversation was never going to happen. Um,. Ben played for 18 years, suffered through quite a few major injuries. Like you're it, one of the, you're one of the best quarterbacks that franchise has ever had. I don't think they're gonna forget about you're, you. You're a Hall of Famer, Ben. Nobody nobody's forgetting about you. Relax. I mean, you, do you agree with me? Ben Roethlisberger is a Hall of Famer. All right, he's I I like him a lot more than Eli as a uh, football player. I don't know that I would say that Ben's a first ballot Hall of Famer. No, he's not first ballot. But, but he is you, a Hall of Famer. If you told me I had to pick which one would go first, I think Ben should go first over Eli. And a quick update on the Hunter Renfro situation. According to Nick Underhill, the Saints have had interest in Renfro since the combine. Mm. So maybe some discussions have been 
already had. June 1st is the, de- is the day. And maybe that was part of it when it came to talking with Derek Carr. For sure. For sure. June 1st is the day where the Raiders would save a lot of money post-June 1st by trading him. So... New Orleans Raiders. Maybe, just maybe, we're going to need to pay attention to that in the next 10 days. But, 531, we'll take a timeout here. When we return, we'll talk all things NBA playoffs with our guy Tyler Batiste, the managing editor of The Athletic, right here on The Game. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 536, welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Lakers fans are going to cry tonight, and I'm here for it. Let's talk all things NBA with our guy, Tyler Batiste, the managing editor of The Athletic. Tyler, what's going on, bud? How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you guys? Oh, man, absolutely fantastic. So, Denver's up 3-0, which nobody really expected. Um, Does it end tonight? You know, I think it does, uh, and and that's, that's just because I think Denver, um, I think coming into the playoffs, a lot of people, probably myself included, sort of just underestimated them a little bit, which is weird to think about because they were the one seed for, for a large part of the season. But, you know, everybody kind of talked about the Lakers and the Grizzlies and, you know, Phoenix and Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and, and, and Denver just turned along and, 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 and made it a point to kind of make a statement of, of, yeah, we're the best team in the West all season and here's why. So, um, I sort of thought if there was going to be any sort of let up, it would have been in game in game three. Uh, we didn't see that. We kind of saw a tale of two halves with Jamal Murray just going off in the first half and then uh, opening things up for Nikola Jokic in the second half. So, I mean, I, I think Denver ends it tonight. If if at most, I would see this series probably going um, five games. I certainly don't think this is going to be. Uh, you know, it's not going to be a series where uh, the O three team comes back for the first time ever. You know, we, we we look at Denver and you instantly think of Nikola Jokic, 30 points, 13 right. rebounds, 10 assists. But, man, how good has Jamal Murray been in, in the playoffs? I mean, 28 points, 6 assists, 6 rebounds. I mean, he's he's just been the lightning spark for this team. Yeah, I mean, we've seen uh, greater flashes of sort of what we saw, you know, in the, in the bubble when he first sort of kind of uh, – uh, you want to say came into his own as sort of like, hey, could this guy be a, a second or third option on a championship team? He obviously got hurt the next season, uh, um, was out all of last season, and obviously took um, took his time. And, and then Denver, credit to Denver and its medical staff for kind of you know easing him along and bringing him along in a, in a productive way because um, you know they knew it was it was more important for Jamal Murray to be right in April, May, and June than it was in in October, November, and December. The way that they've managed him, the way that. Um, you know, he's been able to kind of, uh, you know, the two-man game with Jokic and kind of taking the load off. With those two working well together, when one needs to score, the other is a distributor and vice versa. He's been great to watch. He's fun to watch. Again, we saw glimpses of, the, glimpses of this in the, in the bubble a couple of years ago, and now to see it on this stage with a full crowd and, and with a title contender is, uh, is pretty fun to watch. How do the If the series does end tonight, how, how do the Lakers kind of – Re- refocus and come back next year. I mean, obviously Le- LeBron's not getting any younger. 
uh, Anthony Davis as well. You know, where, where do the, where do the Lakers go from here? I think they're in a great position. I mean, I think I think a lot of the talk on social media obviously is going to be um, of, of like, oh my goodness, like the Lakers downfall and all of this. But this team, they're one of the final four teams remaining, and uh, this current iteration of their team with Jared Vanderbilt and D'Angelo Russell and, 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 and those guys has been one of the best teams in the league since the trade deadline. Um, the record reflects that. I think they're in a really good position going into the next offseason, obviously, or this offseason, I should say. Um, they've got to bring back Austin Reeves. I think he's, uh, he's proven that he is a, a, a vital piece to what they have going forward. Um, they've shown that if LeBron and AD are relatively healthy, they can compete. Now, yeah, they might get swept by the Nuggets, but <laughs> that still puts them at the second or third best team in the West. I mean, you look at the West, who knows what Golden State is going to look like? Who knows what Memphis is going to look like with John Morant and Dylan Brooks and how they replace um, what Dylan Brooks brought to them on the defensive side when he's not, you know, talking his you-know-what off. Phoenix has Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, but they also don't have a coach right now. So there's no reason, I don't think, for the Lakers to look at the West and think that they can't be among the, the four or five best teams and give themselves a shot next season. I'm interested to see what they do with D'Angelo Russell's roster spot because it's not just easy. Uh, it's not as easy as just letting him go and signing someone for that money. They can't do that because of uh, they have Russell's bird rights and they, they can obviously offer Russell more money or use him in a signing trade to maybe get a player. So. Um, that's going to be interesting to see. He played really well against Golden State, and I think the past few games have, have highlighted some of his deficiencies. But um, do, you, do you look at what he's done over the, the, the last three or four months, or do you kind of take the last three or four games and which one is the real D'Angelo Russell? But it's a good spot to be in with, with Anthony Davis and, and, and LeBron James. Even an old LeBron James, he's still among the you know ten best players in the league. Now, for a while, we've heard – the Lakers are always in talks of getting one of the better guards like Damian Lillard and others. And it, right. even, even hearing with now Kyrie as a potential, could you see Kyrie after the experiment with Luca didn't necessarily go as planned? Could you see him reuniting with LeBron in LA? You, you know what? Honestly, I, I, I can't. Um, I think I know a lot of people, that's a lot of talk now is kind of reignited because of how, how how much D'Angelo Russell has struggled, but I mean the fact that that remains that they're in the conference finals, right? Like they, they this this unit by and large got them through February, March, April, and 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 got them this deep in the playoffs. Um, I think, and I I don't want to go back to Austin Reeves, but the fact that Austin Reeves has shown that he he can do a little bit more than just stand in the corner and shoot. He can be a little bit of a playmaker. He can be a little bit of a um, a, a little bit of a distributor. It certainly helps. I'm not saying Austin Reeves should be the point guard of the future going forward, but you don't necessarily need. Uh, I don't think the Lakers need some sort of hot shot, you know, third star type player in the backcourt to kind of make this team this team work. But um, and again, Kyrie Irving, if he goes to LA, he's probably not going to uh, be making anything close to the, the the amount of money that he could make. Uh, in Dallas, is that something that's important to Kyrie? Who knows? Um, we don't know what goes on with what's going on in his head a lot of times, um, especially when it comes to the basketball court. But um, it, it'll be interesting to watch over the offseason. I don't think they need to go for a Kyrie, but um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Tyler Batiste joining us here on Crunch Time. Now, you, you brought up the Kyrie thing, and I, I think I figured out why you think that you don't want him to go to L.A. or you don't think he's going to go to L.A. It, it's because you want to be able to be a, a, a Mavs <laughs> fan and follow Kyrie. 
I just got my Texas license plate today, man. Uh, <laughs> no, I know that's 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 not part of it. I, I'm fine. A, a consolation prize of watching Luca for the next couple years, regardless of who's around him, like that's that's a good that's a good that's a good thing. So <laughs> I knew where I knew where you were going with that as soon as you started asking the question. I was, <laughs> Let, let's flip over to the Eastern Conference side now. <laughs> what the hell is going on in Boston? Man, I, that's a good. That's a great question, right? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it, I think a lot of it, you know, people talk about, and it's so dumb sometimes when you talk about it, but the heat culture aspect of it, I really think there's something to that. These guys in Miami were the number one seed last year. They They lost to Boston, and they were – Quite frankly, upset about that all season, and 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 they admitted as much uh, after last after they got eliminated last year. Jimmy Butler said, "We're going to be right back here, and we're going to get it done next time." And uh, and that's what they're doing. Th- those guys, Jimmy Butler, Caleb, Mar- uh, you know, Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent, uh, Max Struess, just a bunch of guys with a lot of various chips on their shoulders. Uh, some of it warranted, some of it might be you know kind of made up or contrived, but. But they believe in each other. They believe in what they do down there, and, and, and they really think that they can go out there and beat anyone, and, and the results in the playoffs have, have sort of proven it. So uh, I think they're just taking this series personally against Boston because of how last season ended and a couple seasons before that. Um, they've played this team in the playoffs a lot. I, I'm curious to see if – I would be curious to see if they would be playing differently if they were facing the Sixers or the, or the Bucks or something. But Well, not the Bucks. I guess they already beat the Bucks. But, um, you know, a team that they, they don't have this recent history with, they just – it just means more for them, right? It's like SEC football. No, absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> the the thing that's always or, or recently stuck to me is people have looked at Joe Missoula and questioned whether or not he can be the coach of the Celtics going forward. Like, can he get mm-hmm. it done for Boston? Where do you stand on that? I mean, I, I, it's going to sound weird to say, but I still think I think it's too early to tell. This is his, this is his first season, and he didn't have – you know, a full off season or a training camp, uh, a full training camp to kind of, you know, do the, whatever things he needed to do or, or which feel to do um, that he needs to do to kind of get the job done. He was kind of thrust into an odd position. Obviously, he's I think he's qualified for it. He's been an assistant for a while. He was on the Celtics bench last year when they made the run to the finals. Um, I, I don't think this is, uh, uh, to me, an indictment on Joe Mazzulla is bad or, 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 or not good. I think it's more an incomplete. I'd like to see what happens. Um, with some tweaks to the roster and kind of with a full offseason to implement whatever he wants to do, whether it be offensively, defensively, because it's one thing to do that um, as the season is going along. Um, it's another thing to kind of focus on that in the offseason and maybe get the pieces pieces that you want in um, to do what you need to do. And he's got a, a former coach in Brad Stevens in the front office, so somebody who understands you know what a coach might need, and whether it be a, a particular type of player or, or a player with a particular mindset. Um, so I'll, I'll give him kind of an incomplete grade at this point if they if they get bounced in this round. Last question I've got on it's not NBA related. Uh, Tyler, Ooh. you're a you're a Lafayette native, but you're an LSU graduate. Uh, what were your thoughts on the LSU UL softball regional over the weekend? I, I'm I'm not commenting on that publicly. I can't. I'm gonna I'm gonna upset I'm gonna upset half of the people I know if I say one thing or the other. So I'm just gonna keep quiet. Well, nice try. I, I tried. I, I tried to do the journalistic approach and, and pull it out of you, but you know, good, 
Good, good for I don't you. Know, my, for... Mom might, my mom might be listening. I'm not sure. My mom and my friends are listening. I'm, I'm, I'm going to upset one side or the other. I don't want to do that. Good, good for you for saying no comment and moving along. Tyler <laughs> Baptiste, the managing editor of The Athletic, joining us here on Crunch Time. Tyler, appreciate you as always, my man. Enjoy the rest of the NBA playoffs, and we'll talk again soon. Hey, appreciate it. Take care. And there he goes, Tyler Baptiste. I tried. I tried. God, I, I just wanted him to say one good thing. About UL, but that's fine. We'll, we'll we'll get it out of them soon enough. We'll take a timeout and we'll wrap up today's show and get you set for the Houston Astros right after this. This is Crunch Time on the Game, one zero three seven Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you tired of your boring man cave? Well, if you are, then the Game one zero three seven Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse at one zero three seven thegamecom or one zero four one thegamecom for a chance to win a new recliner from Borderlands Furniture, flat screen TV from AVI and much more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans, Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to 553. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, wrapping up today's show. The Houston Astros getting set to start a six-game road trip. Uh, they are in Milwaukee. For three games beginning tonight at 6.40, pregame at 6.10 right here on the game. For the Houston Astros, Christian Javier will be on the bump. 4-1 record with a 3.25 ERA, 52 and two-thirds innings. He's given up 39 hits. He has struck out 59. Corbin Burns will oppose him. 4-3 on the season, a 3.48 ERA in 51 and two-thirds innings pitched. 41 hits, 46 Ks. He's given up five home runs and walked 19 so far on the season. But let's go back to the weekend. Three-game sweep of the Oakland A's. Framber Valdez throws a complete game yesterday. James, the Astros may have found their groove. I was going to say, not just the sweep over the A's, but they're on a seven-game winning streak, and they've won 10 out of their last 11. I mean, they're kind of on a roll right now. And the Mighty Mouse is back. He is back. He made his he made his season debut over the weekend. Um, look, you know... He's already got two base hits. He's already scored a double, has an RBI, hitting 222. I mean, look, for, for a guy that's only played in three games and only made nine trips to the plate, I'll, I'll take it. And he's been walked four times. Look, Ho- Jose's just that guy. They're scared of him. He's just that guy. Um, but look, you know, in, in baseball, you don't have to throw four pitches to walk a guy. You can just say, hey, go stand on first. Right. Walk down the line. Okay. It's going to be an intriguing matchup, though, tonight. I mean, the Milwaukee Brewers. Brewers are good, man. Yeah. 25, good. 25 and 21 so far on the season. Not too shabby. And Corbin Burns is a great pitcher. And, and you know, you look at their lineup, obviously they still have Christian Yelich, which, I mean, he, he's been one of the better players in the league over the last several years. Uh, Willie Adamas at shortstop. Um Rowdy Telez at first base, William Contreras behind the plate. 
You have Garrett Mitchell in, in center field. Jesse Winker from Seattle is in their lineup this year as well. Uh, so they've got talent, Luke Voigt at first base. So you have talent that, that you can you know, really use to your advantage if you're the Milwaukee Brewers. But I think what they have struggled with more than, than batting this season has been pitching. Uh, I mean, you have Freddie Peralta and you have Corbin Burns, but beyond that, you, you know, you've had guys that have really, really kind of struggled a little bit. I mean, Eric Lauer has a 5.48 ERA. You've got guys in the bullpen that are really struggling to to get things together for you. Uh, Freddie Peralta has been pretty solid, a 4.15 ERA in 52 innings. But the Brewers in that tough division of the NL Central, you've got the Cardinals, you've got the Cubs. You know, that's going to be a division where you have an opportunity to take control if you do what you're supposed to do. And they've got a great opportunity to start their week and head into June on a high note by really disrupting the momentum that the Houston Astros have uh, this in this three-game series over in Milwaukee. Again, game one tonight, 640 first pitch. Astro launch will begin at 610, and of course you can hear that right here on the game. I want to thank our guest today, Corey Diaz, coming on talking all things Raging Cajuns as they advance to the Super Regionals. Jim Gazzolo joining us to kick off hour number two and talking all things McNeese as they overcome the heartbreak of the weekend and baseball prepares for the Southland Conference Tournament. And Tyler Batiste coming on to talk the NBA playoffs. Game four between the Nuggets and Lakers tonight. Will the series continue? We'll recap that tomorrow, plus preview the Celtics and Heat game four. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, give a hug to your mom and them, and we're back tomorrow, four to six, right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.